Romans chapter 5, um, we're going to jump into God's word um, this morning. I had planned to do 11 verses with you, but uh, as I dug into it, I could almost hear my mom's voice saying, slow down and chew your food before you choke on it. So we're going to slow down and uh, not choke on so much of Paul's words, uh, God's words through Paul, um, but we're going to just slow down a bit. We'll see how fast we go. But uh, I have uh, thoroughly uh, enjoyed this latest seminary course that I'm in. Most of you know that I'm working on, on my doctorate in biblical counseling, but my friend, Corey Wilson, who's the pastor at uh, City Church over in um, Cleveland Heights, but also he's the president of Emmaus Seminary, which is a, a new seminary, uh, I think uh, 19, 2019, I think, something like that, started, and um, he talked me into getting a, a higher level doctorate than I was planning on, and by doing that, I've been forced to take a couple extra classes, uh, specifically in research, but then also in teaching. So for the last four months or so, I think it's a four-month course, uh, I've been immersing myself in, in teaching stuff, foundations of teaching. And I'm telling you, my respect level for teachers has gone a lot higher. I didn't know there was so much stuff, like, like all this like taxonomies and, and learning styles. And uh, what else did I write down here that um, um, you're like... Uh, philosophy and all this stuff. It's just been a, a lot. Uh, curriculum, modes of learning, syllabus development. Uh, it, it's, it's been interesting because it's made me question, okay, what, uh, just wrestling with my teaching and my uh, being a, a preacher, is it really effective? And, and here's what I, it hit me. There's one principle that really stood out over all of it, and that is knowledge is only the starting point of learning, okay? Knowledge is just the starting point. Uh, Benjamin Bloom has this, this taxonomy that moves a student from knowledge to comprehension, to application, to analysis, to synthesis, to evaluation. I, I, Megan, I should have had you see if you quoted that. I'm sure that you would have, Caitlin would have had it memorized, okay? Uh, there's this lady named Dee Fink, F-I-N-K, her taxonomy has what they call foundational knowledge, and then you build these other components around them. And there's this general consensus, especially in that world and, and other, I think even in the, the Christian world, that there's a difference between what goes on in your, your head, what goes on in your heart, and what goes on with your hands, or your intellect, your emotions, and your will. Now, I, I share all of that because I want to apply it to the book of Romans, because with a book like Romans, especially as we've been, it, it's pretty heady, it's easy to stay in, in the intellectual. It's easy to stay with just this, this theological wrestling, this, the truths, and, and even some systematic theology. Uh, oftentimes it becomes a book where we talk about, okay, we believe this, and this denomination believes this, and, and the, we, we, we argue about the minor intricacies in our theological positions. It's good to do all of that, but I want to remind you that that's really insufficient. Knowledge of Scripture is insufficient because there are a lot of people who don't believe and believe in God that have a better working knowledge of Scripture than we do. And what Paul tells us in his letter to, the, to Timothy, he says, all Scripture, God's Word, is breathed out by God, it's inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, okay, here's the truth, 
but then it's also profitable for reproof. Reproof is when you look at the truth and you compare it to yourself. It's like, oh, that's where I don't fit. That's where I'm wrong. But then it shows you how to correct and then train in righteousness in the right direction. So, so God's word is profitable for all that for the purpose, though, that the man of God or the person of God, men and women, it's all of us, that the man of God may be what? Complete. That word there also means mature. Maybe mature, equipped for every good work. So anytime we, we wrestle with God's word, we're, we're learning it, reading on our own, studying it, it is very much about, okay, God preparing me, preparing you to do what God has for us. Now, it would be very easy to look at Romans 5, 1 through 5, that we're going to look at today, with a technical perspective. But as I was preparing this week, I just felt led to make it much more personal. Uh, I'm not going to, it's not about just you know, leave it in a book. We're going to dig deep emotionally, spiritually, and practically. And I want us to wrestle with what does this passage, these verses, teach us about our individual standing before the Lord, our relationship with Him. I'm going to give you the principles. You'll notice in your bulletin, very much, I'm going to do it today in first person statements. I or my now, as soon as we do that, it, it, don't think it's all about you, okay? It's, we're, we're in this together. There is a corporate sense, but each one of us do stand as individuals before the Lord. It's a both and, but today we're going to focus a little bit more on the personal. So let's start in verse 5, or verse chapter 1, verse 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Let me pause there, Okay. Therefore, there's three key therefores. There's in chapter 5, chapter 8, and then chapter 12. Anytime we, we stop at those point, points, we need to look backwards and say, what has Paul been saying that he's now going to argue from this fact? And so we need to summarize chapters 1 through 4. And let me summarize it with three statements. These are, I'm going to put them on the screen. They're not in your bulletin, but I encourage you to write them down or at least paraphrase them. And they're three pretty straightforward, simple truths. One is, I am a sinner under God's wrath. I was talking to another pastor friend of mine who must be much more loving than I am because, yeah, probably, no comments from the peanut gallery, um, is he, he says, how can we talk about God's wrath? And I said, how can we not talk about God's wrath? God is a holy God. And, and with us being sinners, there is wrath that needs to be put onto sin and sinners. We start there. The wages of sin is death. We deserve death. I, you, me, us, we're really messed up just like everyone else. My desires, my passions, my thoughts are all messed up. In fact, the end of chapter 1 says we're depraved. We have dishonorable passions. It leads to all kinds of sin. We're messed up people. Hopefully you understand that. If you don't, just ask your spouse. They will tell you how messed up you are. Or your kids. Principle number two. There's nothing I can do to earn God's righteousness. There's nothing I can do to move from God's wrath to God's righteousness on my own. It's just that's what Scripture teaches. This is very different than other religions, even some other denominations. 
that tend to emphasize if I do this, 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 then God's going to like me. That's not what scripture teaches. No matter how good we are, there's nothing we can do to earn God's righteousness. Principle number three, I am made right with God. I get to receive his righteousness, very simply, through faith in Jesus Christ, by believing in Jesus. Faith alone. That's what the whole Reformation was based on. There was a move away from uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church at that time. Faith alone. It's not the law. Don't forget that all of that Old Testament scripture law was about just showing, hey, you, you can't do this on your own. You need somebody to rescue you and to fulfill the law, and that was Jesus. So those three statements just kind of sum her up. I'm a sinner under God's wrath. There's nothing I can do to earn God's righteousness. And then I am made right with God through faith in Jesus. So let's go back to verse one. That was the therefore. So therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we've been made right with God by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you five because of Jesus statements to grab a hold of today. And here's statement number one. Because of Jesus, I am no longer God's enemy. Let that sink in for a moment. Because I'm convinced that some of you need this truth more than any of the other ones. God is not your enemy. You are not God's enemy. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you Stand, have peace with him. We're watching the wars going around, uh, on around us and certainly we pray for peace and we, we pray for justice and it gets complicated and all of that. But a peace is when, when there's no more fighting. There's no more enemies. We're gonna look at the passage next week that, that we read up here as part of our assurance of pardon is that while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. We're no longer his enemies because of Jesus. Now, I'll be honest with you, there's, there's a lot of people that I could care less if I was their enemy or they were my enemy. I just could care less. But, but God? Okay, I'd, that's a little different. I'm not sure I want to be God's enemy. And I'm gonna encourage you, it's not a good place to be God's enemy. And we're gonna talk more about that in the verses below. Because I have been declared righteous, God and I can be in a relationship a close relationship. My brothers and sisters, you are not God's enemy if you are his child. We believe there is a moment in time when somebody moves from being God's enemy to being his child. That's what we call salvation, justification. Sometimes we know when that exact moment is. Sometimes eh, it's not so much, especially if you're a kid. But, but there is a moment in time where we stand guilty before God but then when Jesus' blood is applied to our account, we're justified and made right with him. That's what this passage is teaching. I am no longer God's enemy. Verse two. Through him, we have also, so he's adding to it, we have also obtained access, like a key that opens the door, by faith into what? Grace. This grace in which we what? Stand. Because of Jesus, I live in God's everyday grace. Every day grace. Every moment grace. What is grace? It's God's favor. 
It's, it's giving us what we don't deserve. I was going to say, like, my children and, and food and snacks, but I suppose they're my children, so I have to feed them. So maybe that's not quite the same. It, it's, here's the difference, okay? All these cereal versus, like, Fruit Loops and that kind of stuff. That's, Fruit Loops is grace, okay? All these cereal is just whatever. It's just what you deserve, okay? Um, another moment, I didn't prepare that illustration. That's why it was so stupid, okay? So just little window into my world, okay? But what's it say there? We stand in the grace. What does that mean? It, it's an anchor. It's a foundation. It's a source of security and strength. You ever realize, like, um, maybe it's in the garage or the kitchen or whatever, and uh, you, you find, like, oh, I, I forgot I had that tool, or I, for, I forgot I had this, or I forgot I had that. And it would have made your life a lot easier if you'd remembered that you had that. I think sometimes that's what Christians do with grace. I'll just put it over here until I need it, and maybe they forget about it. And the reality is, no, it, it's an everyday tool. It's an everyday resource. It's something every day, every day, grace, grace, grace. Uh, this passage I want to share with you, I want to jump over to 2 Corinthians 12 for a moment has really, it's been meaningful to me in a different way right now, and I'm just kind of, it's kind of the, my meditation passage. Paul writes, um, so to become, to, so to keep me from becoming conceited, proud, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, up um, in chapter 12, he's talking about these revelations he was receiving from the Lord, and he thinks he's all special. So in order to think he's not special, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Most people think that that's some sort of physical ailment. He describes it as a messenger of Satan to harass me. It was so bad, he felt like, man, this must have come from Satan, uh, felt demonic in some way, to harass me to keep me from, he says it again, from becoming conceited. But watch what he says next, three times. Now, I, I, I don't know why it's only three times. Maybe it was three instances, maybe it's just an expression of speech, but he says three times, I begged, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Take away this pain, take away this difficulty, whatever it is. But he said to me, my what? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you to handle this situation. For my power, my power is made perfect in weakness, and specifically your weakness. God's saying my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Hey, I'm a loser. Hey, I, I can't handle this. Why? so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. As good Americans, we try to handle it all on our own. Over and over again, well, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And God says, no, you can't. You need a little grace. And verse 10 says, for the sake of Christ, meaning for his glory, then I am content. Like, I'm okay with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I 
joked around in the first, half joked around in the discipleship hour that during the uh, political season next year that I was going to teach the book of Revelation because who knows what's going to happen. But, and I may still do that, okay? But, but here's what the Lord has laid on my heart. A passage like this reminds us that God, His Word, Holy Spirit Jesus, is a completely different way of thinking than the way our world does. And you and I are citizens of that kingdom before, and that, that all, no pun intended, trumps this kingdom living here on earth. Okay? And so we're going to talk about that because our focus can't be on a presidential election. Now, we're going to think about it, we're going to pray about it, and we're going to vote and do all those kinds of things, but, but that's not where our citizenship is in comparison to the citizenship in the kingdom. And we have some decisions before us, and I want us to wrestle. And so we have a decision right here. Are we going to recognize God's grace in our life and stand in that grace that he gives us every day? Let's go back to verse 2. Let me read it again. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and... We do this, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So because of Jesus, number three, my future is secure. My future is secure. So here's what that verse means. Okay, I want to go back here just for a quick second. It says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He's going to unpack at the end of Romans 8 what that glory is all about, because you and I go from being called to being glorified. There is something about being glorified as believers. We'll understand it more in chapter eight. But think of it this way. God is going to make everything right again someday. Full restoration. We believe creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Restoration has begun in the sense that you and I are becoming more like Christ, but there's gonna be a day when that's finished and we're gonna be fully glorified. Okay? Oh, there's just, I want to say more about that, but I, we don't have time today. Um, we will be glorified and perfected on the last day. Thinking about that in the future, that that's going to happen, the hope that that's going to happen should bring us joy today. They call that eschatological thinking. When you think of eschatology as the study of the last days, the amount that, God, that we know what's going to happen in the future should give us hope now, and that hope should lead to joy. So if, if you don't feel like there's a secure future, something's wrong with your thinking that needs to change. If you don't find joy in the fact that there's hope in the future, something's off in your thinking, and that's what we're invited to do in this passage, is live in the present or live the present in light of a secure future. Which reminds me, in fact, we're going to sing this tonight. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Because of what Jesus did for us, our future is secure. Let's go another direction. Because Paul goes another direction. Verse 3. Not only that, not everything we've been talking about, but because of Jesus, we rejoice in our what? Uh, really? Knowing 
that suffering produces what? Yeah. Just got to keep going. Just got to keep going. We suffer. It produces endurance. And then endurance produces what? Character. Character. And character produces hope. Here's the principle. Because of Jesus, my present pain has purpose. So he just went from talking about the future. In fact, he start, talked about the present in which we stand. Talks about the future, future glory, hope, joy, future glory. But now he, he turns to the present and the sufferings have purpose. Pain. The reality of life in a broken world. Hopefully, we get stronger as we suffer if we do it right. If you view it through God's eyes, suffering produces a bit of strength and endurance. Like, okay, I can keep doing this. When I fail, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to suffer. I'm going I'm to handle my pain the way God wants me to. I'm going to see it the way he wants me to. And we endure over and over again. And then that, that allows us to grow in character and maturity. And then that character and maturity brings hope. I, I, I would, I think, I'm pretty positive that at 50, I, hopefully I'm handling pain better than I did at 40 and 30 and 20 and 10. Not always the case, but the truth is we should be able to be growing in our spiritual maturity to be able to handle the pain and see the purpose that God has for me. Because you can look back and like, oh, yeah, that's why I went through that. Because I learned this and learned this and learned this, and it gave me more hope. We trust him we look forward to a time, yes, when the pain is all gone, but in the meantime, we view it all through his eyes. So let me just give you a, a bit of advice. Don't waste your pain. The pain's there. The suffering is there. Don't waste it. I don't know why exactly, but I really feel the Holy Spirit been telling me to lean into this area right now. That's why it goes into that other passage. So I've been, I made a list of books and started reading them about pain. So Philip Yancey has got a number of books like God, Where Are You in the Pain or something like that. Um, there's several names. Um, uh, Corey Ten Boom, she was a uh, Holocaust survivor. Joni Erickson Tata has written a number of books on this. Uh, Victor Frankl. And I just feel like it, the world's in pain. And I, I, I sometimes can be like, eh, I don't want to deal with that pain. I got enough of my own. Remember that show, This Is Us? Man and I started to watch it when it first came out, and it was like, I don't know, three or four episodes in. I just thought, why am I doing this? <laughs> this is so painful. I, I've got enough problems in my life. Why am I sitting down and watching a show just to give me more problems? It was heavy. I mean, I think I, you, I, think I cried in every episode. Forget that. Then again, I was going to say, go watch some sports, but I live in Cleveland, so that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't change anything. <laughs> it, it comes down to whether we see pain and suffering from a human perspective or from a divine perspective. And so I'm having you wrestle with, do you see a purpose behind your pain? Because Paul is teaching there is. Finish up with verse 5. And hope does not put us to what? Shame. Because God's love 
has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the Holy Spirit, but I just want you to know that's where it comes from. But because of Jesus, I experience God's love instead of humiliation. I wanted to put the word shame there, but I'll show you why I didn't here in a minute. We experience God's love instead of humiliation. Because we have been made right with God through what Jesus did, God doesn't look at you and say, shame on you. Shame, let me just clarify real quickly. There's a difference between shame and guilt. Shame is, I am a bad person. Guilt is, I've done something wrong and should feel guilty. Guilt is a good thing. When we do something wrong, we should feel guilty. But Christians should never live in shame because of what Jesus Christ did. Okay? Our identity, our, it, it, Jesus took care of all that and made us right with God. He now looks at us as saints rather than sinners. So when we confess our sin, we're just acknowledging what needs to happen, to the, the, the position that we're already in, to say, I, I want to live a life that honors God because that's where I'm at. I don't have to live in shame and humiliation. And what's interesting is we as humans, especially parents, we're, we're prone to shame in some ways. When my kids screw up like, take too long as a shower and miss the bus <laughs> on Friday morning. Or when you come downstairs, what you thought was going to be a clean kitchen, and it's not a clean kitchen anymore. Jacob. Okay. Um, <laughs> or when they and their buddies track dog poop all the way through the house, down the stairs, you know. Now, that hasn't happened in a little while, okay, so. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm tempted to let my anger turn into shame and shame them or humiliate them. And I've just become more consciously aware that, you know, while they, they might have done something wrong, it doesn't mean they're bad. And I can't shame them because my father doesn't shame me. My father says, okay, that was a stupid thing to do, but come on. Like, it's covered under the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm grateful that Jesus paid it all. There's no more punishment. There's no, heart, no more humiliation or shame. In this passage, it says there is love that's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knows the exact dosage. The Holy Spirit can give you exactly what you need. What we need has been given to us. Because of Jesus. Now, I want to give you, notice there was a blank, I forgot to mention it to you, there's a blank on each. Uh, some of you are like, wait, where's that other blank? Okay, mm, sorry, I, I know some of you have been anxiety the whole time, so sorry, Stephanie. Um, let me give them to you, because I realized this morning, this is how last minute it was, as I gave you those five statements, I realized, wow, those all like address a specific area that we all struggle with. So let me finish with these real quickly, and then these are going to be the way 
the, 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 yeah, the ways that we're going to pray tonight. So if you find I fit with that one, come back tonight and we're going to pray for you. So the first one, you know, when we, I experience, uh, so I am no longer God's enemy, that's an identity issue. Some of you are wrestling with your identity with God, but because of Jesus, you're his child, you're not his enemy. If you're struggling with that, come tonight, we're going to pray for you. But then the statement, I live in God's everyday grace, some of you feel just really weak. Like, I, I just, I, I don't know how I can even keep going and handle life. Guess what? You need some grace. You need to wrestle with grace and receive grace. And we're going to pray for that tonight, for your weakness. My future secure. Anxiety is at an all-time high right now in our culture. All kinds of age levels, but especially our teenagers. Back teens tonight, if you need some prayer, come tonight. We will pray for you. We'll, we'll, we'll wrestle with your anxiety by giving it to Jesus. Anxiety and insecurity and worry. My present pain has a purpose. Points to your suffering. Now again, don't forget all these kind of mixed together. Sometimes they're suffering and anxiety and weakness and identity issues all at once, but, but some of you are just suffering more than, the other, more than the average person. Let's bring that to the Lord. Jesus because of Jesus, my present pain has purpose. And the last one is just to put that word shame on it, where I experience God's love instead of humiliation. And if you're struggling with shame, let's give that to the Lord. Rachel and um, uh, Mike, why don't you come on up? We're going to sing one more song, um, but we're going to take communion first. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it a little differently today. Um, in fact, if my... Um, 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 ushers or passer-outers would come up here. I'll, I'll give you these in just a moment. But here's what I want you to do. Um, um, we use the phrase because of Jesus and we listed five things today. Since we've been justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to close today by saying thank you to Jesus, by being reminded of what he did for you and for me. So in a moment, um, so what we're gonna do is, um, Kyle's gonna pass him out on this side. I, I was, uh, Ellie and I were talking through this week of how, how to distribute this, because it's been getting pretty congested up here, and we're trying to figure out different ways to do it. And, and it's interesting how we, we think of communion as this, this formal, like, this is what you got to do in a church, and it's real like, uh. that's not how it started. It was a meal in a home, and it was chaos. So if this doesn't work, it's okay. We're just like the first century church, okay? So it, it's okay. But, but this is just a moment where we're going to take a cracker, and it's going to remind us that Jesus' body was broken for me and you. And we're going to drink a little juice. It's a, it's a picture of Jesus' blood that was shed for you and me. Paul describes it as a picture of the new covenant that, that has replaced the old covenant. We just trust him. So I'm gonna say a prayer and then we're gonna pass this out. Then we'll stand together and uh, we'll take it all together at the right time. So Father, we take a moment and we just say thank you. Even as Rachel prayed this morning, like, there is no other response but to say thank you. Because of Jesus, 
this, 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 this. And I pray that these, we talked about and read this morning, wouldn't just be theological truths, but they would just be everyday facts that change our lives. That we can be in a relationship with you. We, we can live in your grace. We can rejoice because we have a hope for the future. We can view our pain as a way to make us more like Jesus, our sufferings more like Jesus. And then ultimately, just to be reminded that your love has been poured into our hearts instead of shame. And so we say thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.